Voice Global is coming June 9th, a fully virtual event packed with live keynotes from industry leaders and innovators, practical workshops, insightful panels, and some well-deserved entertainment for voice enthusiasts around the world. Learn more about this free event and how to host a viewing party at voicesummit.ai slash global. That's voicesummit.ai slash global. And great news, if you still want to speak at Voice Summit 2020 this fall, submissions are now open through June. So be sure to get your proposals in at voicesummit.ai. On this special episode from a recent live interview, we bring on some top experts to talk about voice security. You'll hear Uday Akaraju, the CEO at Bond.ai, Matt Valancourt, the director of NSP Channel Sales at Sonic Wall, and John Iwas, the chief technology officer at Whetstone Technologies, Inc., talk about how voice technology companies and anyone making their own voice skill can make them secure, how consumers can feel secure using voice, and we answer some Twitter questions we received from our audience. Hello, Inside Voice community. We are back with another live episode that we are doing today. And we're doing something a little different. I'm very excited about it. We have three guests on today. We are doing kind of a panel interview discussion about voice security. And I have three gentlemen on who have been on the show, the podcast show, all before. And so now they're here together talking about voice security. And I have with me John Iwas. He's the CTO of Whetstone Technologies. Matt Valancourt, the director of NSP channels at SonicWall, and Uday Akaraju, the CEO of Bond AI. So welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being here. Excited for this today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So let's start. Um, for anyone watching, if you have questions, you can post them in the comments and we will answer them throughout the show as well as at the end. Um, I do have some of you that had reached out to me on Twitter beforehand and we'll answer those questions as well. But before we get into it, I'd love for each of you to give me three minutes about who you are and your background as far as voice and security. So, John, I will start with you. Sure. So I uh, prior to co-founding Whetstone, I had spent... Uh, 12 years at Microsoft in consulting services, uh, traveling across the country from customer to customer. Uh, my most noteworthy engagement at that time was at the FDIC, uh, coincidentally during the 2008 um, banking crisis. And I re-architected the uh, tooling and reporting systems that the bank examiners used to conduct their examination process. Um, that put me on a path towards uh, fintech. And in roles since then, I had been involved had been involved in um, uh, fintech implementation, security, and my uh, prior project just before uh, co-founding Whetstone was in creating a, a voice application for banking on Alexa. Wonderful, Matt. What about you? Um, so I've been in. Uh the IT channel um, for over 15 years now um, in different roles, primarily in IT infrastructure. Um, so dealing more with the backbone infrastructure. Um, obviously, now I'm, I'm with SonicWall. Um, so we're doing uh, a lot of uh, cybersecurity, but, you know, not just firewalls, but also, um, you know, cloud application, um, the work from home, which is a big uh, a buzzword right now. Um, so we enable folks to be able to remote uh, back into their corporate network securely um, with a multitude of different products to uh, make sure we provide those that, that layered security for them. 
Um, on, a, on a personal side, um, I have been, uh, I, I guess it's a strange hobby, but it's my hobby, has been dedicated to data privacy, um, data security, things along those lines, um, and developing best practices surrounding them. Um, and I've been doing that for a little over three and a half years now. Um, as, as you mentioned, we've discussed quite a few times on some of the other podcasts. Um, and, uh, you know, most recently, um, you know, as a consu general consumer of voice, um, I, I apply a lot of my thought processes to um, cybersecurity and best practices to the world of voice now as well. Um, being that it's, it's new, it's up and coming and Heck, especially nowadays where you're not supposed to touch anything or anyone, it's great to just be able to shout something out and have something happen. And, you know, you don't have to worry about washing your hands for another five minutes. So, um, you know, I've kind of picked up this and gotten deeper into this voice world over the past year um, and working with you. But I think a lot of the um, best practices that, that um, I tend to preach day in and day out uh, really translate and apply to this space as well. Yeah, and Uday, introduce yourself as well. Yeah, so um, I co-founded uh, and the CEO of Coin.ai, as you mentioned. So my, my expertise actually comes from a little different dimension. So my expertise, yes, is into AI and data science, but it's more uh, from the human-centered part. So my focus has always been understanding the users. What does the user need? And so at our company, right, so we create voice and conversational applications for financial institutions, and we actually do that. We, we call our engine an empathy engine. So when you talk about empathy, I mean, the first thing we have to empathize with the consumer and the first thing which comes to mind, your mind or anybody's mind is privacy, right? consumer privacy. So yeah, that's how, that's how, that has been my expertise, consumer privacy, transparent AI and cognitive psychology of consumers and how we actually translate all that consumer concerns into security by design into our applications. Wonderful. And, um, you know, Security is obviously a major concern in voice technology as a whole. I think it's one of the questions I get asked about all the time from a consumer standpoint, from businesses, you know, how do we keep things secure? And Matt, you and I had a conversation recently. You had a personal story of something that happened with you with banking and voice. And I'd love for you to share what happened and why it caused concern for you, especially somebody who is in the security space. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, uh, this stems from one of our, our prior voice podcasts. Um, I brought up a, uh, uh, it's not obscure to me because I lived through it, but a movie from the 90s called Sneakers with Dan Aykroyd and a bunch of others. And, and the plot of the movie was, um, or part of the plot was they needed to uh, get this guy's voice passcode so that they could access uh, the bad guy's business and stop the bad stuff from happening. Um, but what what came from that is I was doing some stuff with some financial institutions, some, some pretty big ones across the country. And I noticed that all of them were starting to push on their consumers um, voice verification for phone in, um, which I get right. Um, uh, you know, we're, we've had this old antiquated system where um, we ask people who call in questions surrounding data that is in their personal financial files or in their credit files, like where, where did you live in this year? And uh, was this your phone number when you lived at this address? And things along those lines, which we all know nowadays from a social engineering standpoint and, and even from a, a data breach standpoint, you can find that information on the internet and answer those questions. And, and in fact, it happened back in, uh, um, I think it was uh, 2012 or 2013, where 
um, people were getting that information and using it to access to file false tax returns for people because they had the information that they could pretend to be that person, get the check, and yeah. So, anyways, I get why they're going to it, but one of the ones that I called into quite literally flashback to that movie. Um, what they wanted me to speak and how they wanted to verify me is they wanted to say at banking company, um, my voice is my password. And that's the only verification for it. So in talking with John, I said, I wonder if we can, you know, it's not even really, it's a hack, but it's not really a hack. So I wonder if we could get this thing to let me in without me actually with using a recorded voice. So, you know, first we tried just recording my voice played it over speakerphone, worked, got in. Okay, you know, probably going to be hard for someone to do. Then I went to some of our former podcasts, took my words spoken in in high def on those podcasts, sliced them all up and put them in the correct order and kind of smoothed them out a little bit. I used a $50 audio editing program. This wasn't anything crazy. Hit play, got in. Um, so then, you know, as John and I were talking, we got to, well, what about biometric? What, what about, a uh, uh, a, a simulated or deep fake voice? Could we yeah. do that? Right. And, and I know John's got some experience with that and, and I've been working on training a system to, so we can actually test it. Um, but I haven't gotten there yet, but just the mere fact that splicing my words together allowed me to get in. Um, was very, very concerning. And, and I think my main point to that and some of the other uh, financial institutions that I've worked with have done this, their biometric systems give you random passphrases that are different every time you call in, um, which is obviously far more secure because it's harder for me as the attacker to anticipate what words I need to queue up to be spoken at the queued time. But this one is very large and I'm not going to name has a dedicated, whatever that was, seven words um, that you need to speak to get into your account from the phone. And the biometric uh, validation is only when you speak the passphrase. So even after I push play and say it, I can go back to using my regular voice of, of the black hat and, and continue on my conversation and get whatever it is I want. And there's, there's no additional validation. So uh, very concerning. I know, John, you, you probably have some thoughts on it, too. Yeah, John, I'll have you actually talk first because you and Matt were going back and forth. In a, <laughs> I was part of the conversation on LinkedIn that I viewed of just texting <laughs> back and forth about this. So I'll have you comment first since you were part of the conversation initially. Sure. Uh, I'd be happy to. So uh, this spun out of a little side project I had going on creating a synthesized voice. I was giving a talk at uh, a local Philly uh, Code Camp event on how to create uh, effectively a deep fake voice using um, some technologies that are available on uh, on Azure. And uh, my in my sample, I had taken uh, some radio clips of Winston Churchill uh, from speeches that he made over the radio during you know, during World War II, and created a synthesized. Uh, voice of Winston Churchill, and I did have him successfully say uh, something that he never dared say in public, uh, I'm too sexy for my shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Gravitas uh, of his voice. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it does take some effort to set that up. It's, uh, it's, it's not difficult, but it is tedious. You need today, you know, 
tomorrow, I'm sure it'll get much, much easier. You know, months from now, a year from now, I'm sure it'll be uh, uh, vastly uh, easier. But today, um, I had to supply about 100 different samples, individual samples of about 20-second clips, along with the short transcription of that clip to the speech engine, to, uh, to feed into the speech engine, uh, and let that run overnight. And then I, I was able to get a... Uh, a, a voice that would not necessarily fake any of us here on the call or, or, or any person. He would still say, oh, that doesn't quite sound right. Uh, but with more samples, I'm sure you would have a, a, a much more convincing, um, uh, 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 convincing voice. So uh, there are some legitimate uses for it. I mean, when you think of deep fake, of course, you, you think of uh, somebody up to nefarious purposes trying to fake out somebody's uh, uh, somebody's voice and gain access to, say, financial transactions. I know there was a case uh, some months ago now where uh, uh, somebody had deep faked the voice of a CEO and was using that to spoof the CFO into doing a, 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 a transfer and it was a UK company um, that lost somewhere in the in the vicinity of a hundred thousand pounds in the process uh, but there are legitimate cases especially in entertainment where uh, you know there's a jeopardy skill on Alexa where you can play jeopardy and you'll hear you know mp3 recordings of Alex Trebek but you can very and then when uh, the announcements are made you it's Alex Trebek's voice, but when the questions are read, it's Alexa reading you the questions. So you could um, uh, see how uh, a deep fake voice of Alex Trebek could be used to enhance that experience. Hmm. So, so uh, having gone through that process myself, I, I gave Matt some um, uh, tips on where to, you know, send samples of his own voice to create his own synthesized voice. Uday, let's hear your your thoughts yeah. on this. You're making some faces there. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking. I mean, I actually, I have a background in signal processing, but I, I actually didn't go towards the deep fake because me and my brother actually sound very similar. So we actually designed an application for a big financial institution, like Matt said, and uh, we were actually trying, kind of very initially testing with uh, that application. And if my brother just changed his voice a bit, he was sounding like me, and it was still going through. So, and there's no point, I mean, because right now with just 10 or 15 past phrases or some phrases, when you say it's, it's very difficult for, with such a little sample size for the engine to be trained. So we need a lot more sample sizes. So right now, when we work with the national station, what we do is, okay, you actually, we use voice as an authentication, but we also immediately actually use a selfie or a second form of authentication so that it is a very simple UX, but still, I mean, it's very autonomy. At least there's at least a minimum of two factors to authenticate the consumer. So I think yeah. we need a lot of sample sizes for sure, way forward. But I, I think it, it will improve. But as of now, I'm not there. We're not there. Yeah, and I think uh, for people listening, I, I think the point that that all three of you are bringing up is that it is very easy at this point for someone to hack in uh, to voice, and I think it's that's why we're talking about this because it's something we do have to be aware of. And you know, I want to talk about security from a developer company standpoint. Um, what steps do you think companies and developers should take to make sure their voice skill or service is secure? 
Um, one example I had someone asked on Twitter. Some of you gave uh, questions beforehand. If you do have questions, you can post them in the comments as well. Um, Blandine Avo, she's also been on the show. Shout out to her. She had asked, have smart speakers have been hacked yet? And how do we protect from this happening? Um, so Uday, I'll start with you on this question. Where, what are your thoughts on this again, especially from a developer company standpoint? See, I mean, when you're using like uh, Google's and Amazon's, uh, these skills, right? I mean, when you're building skills on top of it, I mean, I mean, Matt and John, I think they will agree. We don't have control of all the process, right? There are so many moving parts and we don't have control over that. And especially people like us, when we're dealing with FinTech, we're dealing with a lot of PII sensitive information, right? So if we don't have control of all the moving parts, it's, it's very, very scary. So what we do, I mean, from a developer standpoint is the first and foremost thing that what we do is we, we actually keep everything behind the bank's firewall. So it's already secure. The user is already authenticated before he or she comes to us. So that's one measure we actually take so that it's not really, really hackable. And the second thing is, I mean, from a developer standpoint, we don't store anything. We don't store any PII. We don't store any sensitive information. All we just need is a token to exchange it. It's all encrypted, at rest, and in transit. And the third and most interesting thing, what we're trying to do right now, is we are actually trying to process everything locally. So all the process, I mean, like if you see this Snapdragon 865 chips, all these chips, what they're doing is actually they're enabling you to actually process those files on the device itself. So that actually takes care of a lot of security because you have to have a combination of local processing versus cloud processing, right, as a developer. So then you can actually mitigate something where security protocols are not being compromised and stuff like that. So I think that's going to be becoming big as we actually get better hardware in the future. So those are the things we actually keep doing. And that's what we advise other developers to actually do too. Yeah. And I know, Matt, you had um, like four or five things that you felt would be good options for developers and companies from a security standpoint as well. Yeah, I think uh, two, well, one best practice and two kind of should should just be the way, just what you do. <laughs> um, first off, design with security in mind, right? Don't, don't, Whatever your your voice solution is, whether it be a skill or an actual product or um, a service or whatever it is you're trying to get to market, um, if you don't have the ability inside, hire an outside firm to help do some additional testing and additional vetting. Get some uh, effectively pen testers to to put their black hats on and go out there and actively try to um, circumvent your system. And get into your system and do things that your system isn't meant to do, um, you know. Because at, at the end of the day, I mean, that's a lot of what what hacking is about: is can I get manipulate this thing to do something it's not supposed to be supposed to do? And it could just be if I say these five words with this weird iteration at the end, the system will lock up, or the system will do this, or the system will do that. That was an unintended never designed to be that way, but just the way it was coded, just the way that it was set up, that's what happens when you do it. And we see this all the time in, in a myriad of products, right? Um, whether it be gaming consoles or, or you know, your connected refrigerator. These things are doing things because people push a sequence of buttons that was never anticipated would happen that way, and then something bad happens. Um, and that's, that's an exposure point that attackers really look to leverage in order to, whether it be deliver a payload or, or just lock someone out and be malicious and crash their stuff, whatever it might be. So, so design with security in mind and, and think like an attacker would think when you're developing these things, um, whatever your solution is. And then on the reverse side of that, um, 
would be uh, make sure that you're protecting your development house. So, you know, like Uday mentioned, he's got he's got everything behind a firewall. He's using encryption for delivering stuff from point A to point B. He's doing all the right things to make sure that his house is secure, right? So the backbone infrastructure of everything that he's looking to accomplish is secured because, um, you know, worse than one user being affected by somebody pushing a couple buttons in a weird way is someone getting into the backbone infrastructure system of a voice company and wreaking havoc. You know, they could go in and change your code or change your your skill set so that when certain things are spoken, unintended things happen that, you, that nobody wants to happen. Um, so making sure that you have the appropriate layered security uh, of your backbone infrastructure of, you know, if you're using, even if you're using like Office 365 to do your, um, your cloud collaboration with your teammates, you should be securing that. And there's products out there today that will enable you to be able to secure those types of solutions so that attackers can't come in through them and, and penetrate your networks and penetrate your systems. Um, and I think last but not least, I would say have a backup plan. And, and I like to say have an analog backup plan. Um, you know, so so we use the banking industry as an example. If my only way to access my bank account is through my voice and their servers go down for whatever reason, you know, could be a terrorist attack, could just be there's a blackout on the East Coast. Who knows, right? But if the way that you validate and verify the system goes down, if we go completely digital, I have no way to access my stuff and that's going to really freak me out. So... It's not saying always have your analog system up and running and online, but I'm saying have one available, have one planned so that when something like this happens, you've got a way to quickly allow customers to access the stuff they need to access where you can still verify them. Even if it's going back to the old way of, did you live at this house, at this address in these years or whatever, totally fine, but you need to have something there as, as your plan to back up. Yeah. John, do you have any other comments on this? Again, talking from a developer or a voice company that's creating skills and ways to be secure. Yeah. Yeah. I can talk about, um, first of all, Matt and Uday already had some great comments, so I'm not going to repeat what you guys already said. That's that's terrific. Uh, but I, I, I am thinking about two particular use cases that we encountered. Um, one uh, was a situation where uh, it was an in-office implementation of a voice application where I'll, I'll give you the for instance, you have a sales executive uh, in their office and a echo device sitting on their desk and they could um, uh, and that echo device by virtue of where it's located uh, is has been identified as the uh, device for the uh, CFO's office. Okay, so the CFO can ask, what are today's um, sales figures? What are the sales figures for this month? Okay, and the original design had the sales figures being read and we reviewed that and that was that was a horrible idea because anybody could walk into that CFO's office and say, what are the sales figures for this month? So rather than having the speaker uh, uh, provide sensitive information to somebody that may or may not necessarily have authenticated, we opted to send that the, re the response for the request to that person's Slack or to their email, to some secure drop point that that person can access rather than just blurting out what those sales figures were. 
right? So secure delivery of sensitive material is, I, I think, the way to go. Um, and speaking to the, again, uh, another fintech uh, scenario, this is one we were exploring um, when I had created a, a banking application where you could request a balance transfer uh, by voice after you've authenticated into your uh, your account. Uh, so what happens if, you know, your teenage son decides to transfer from your account into their, you know, allowance holding account? You know, <laughs> you don't necessarily want to authenticate that. Maybe they heard you speak that PIN number from the other room when, you know, one of the um, most um, treacherous uh, attack vectors for any company is, you know, the the inside man attack, right? Well, you got your 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 kids living at home right there. What, what if they decide to do a balance transfer that's unauthorized? Well, again, don't enact the transaction then and there just just by the voice request. Yeah. Send say a push notification to the banking application. Uh, so you so the person that's the primary account holder on that that account would then um, get a, a push notification from their banking app that says, "Hey, a, a transfer has been requested. Do you want to um, allow this or not?" Right. So somebody in your household can't just go ahead and 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 do that um, uh, uh, just because they they happen to overhear your pin number. Uh, another interesting attack vector uh, that I read about. Uh, fairly recently was using, um, and, and this one is rather counterintuitive, is using a laser uh, to mm -hmm. manipulate, right, you've, you yeah, 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 to manipulate this physical speaker on the device. So you could have somebody that has line of sight uh, into your home, into your speaker, and position the laser so that it lands on uh, the uh, the physical uh, microphone input of the device and then modulate the frequency of the lights and uh, nobody you wouldn't hear anything but the but you can manipulate the you know diaphragm on the speaker uh, with the light frequency of the laser to mimic human sound and so if you've got your smart speaker hooked up to you know uh, internal uh, home control units maybe that that person would be able to open the garage door, right? Uh, so, you know, I have um, at home, I have my smart speaker connected to uh, my Wi-Fi lights. And so I can turn them off. I can change the hue. I can change the color, uh, much to my wife's annoy annoyance. Um, but I, I also have a, um, a home security system. And the company that I have it through does allow for uh, an Alexa skill to interact with it. So I could, in theory, you know, enable and disable my my home security system by my voice. I would have to provide a PIN number uh, by voice to enable or disable that. Uh, so I'm still a little leery of using that. I, I, I'm okay with controlling my lights by voice. That's okay. But I'm, I'm still not going to... Uh, go so far as to control my security system by voice, even with a PIN number. I'm not, that's one bridge a little too far for me right now. <laughs> it's so, you know, as you all are talking, I think it's interesting. You're talking not only just software, but hardware. I've never even 
thought of the laser situation. Yeah. Um, so there's so many things to be considering. And, and I know uh, Karen over at Soundtown talks about, you know, it's voice first, not voice only. And I think that's something we need to be thinking about from a security standpoint is, is what you're all alluding to as well. Um, I know I spoke to Suhas from Oracle yesterday and, and he said the same thing, you know, with voice uh, for the enterprise, you ask it with the voice, but it sends to you uh, in an email or it sends to you in a different way um, to keep things more secure. I'd love to transition over over to uh, the challenges in consumer security. So how do you suggest educating your customers and consumers on security? Because again, this is something a lot of people are concerned about um, when it comes to voice, even though people say, oh, well, our phone has so much information. Uh, Consumers really want to understand it. So um, Matt, we'll start with you on this one. Um, I I mean, first off, put put a card uh, uh, in the retail packaging of whatever it is you're selling, you know, uh, for years, people put cards in there that says, you know, stop, do not return to the store. If you have an issue with this, call our support, we'll help you, blah, 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 right? Um, So putting something similar to that in there that says stop, you know, you must change your password upon logging in, you must create a unique long password, create a new username, whatever, add those little best practices in there. As a manufacturer, there's only so much you can do Um, consumers are going to do what consumers want to do. We've seen this with multiple uh, hacks over the past few months, uh, Disney Plus and um, a few others where uh, a ring, the the camera systems where, oh my God, someone hacked my ring camera. No, you reused your username and password for everything in your life and they're in databases that are out there and people were just trying them and they got in. That's what happened. Technically, yes, it's hacking. Technically, yes, it is very illegal. You can't do that, right? But, um, you know, you can educate the consumer as much as you can educate them, and they're going to do what they're going to do at the end of the day. What manufact- What I, I definitely, um, in addition to just doing your best to raise the awareness and raise the knowledge, is also build into your firmware some prompts, right? Um, automatic firmware updates. Number one reason why things get hacked these days is because you didn't patch, whatever it is. And, you know, we all have so many IOT devices in our houses and how many of us go around once a month and make sure that they're completely patched and they're up to date and, and nobody, nobody does that. (laughs) Right. Um, So having that automatic patch where you can just say, yep, when a new patch comes out, automatically apply and restart my device. Great. Awesome idea. Right. Um, Similarly, when I first log into the device, when I get it, I set it up, um, automatically make them change the default admin and username. So, so, so change the username, change the password. And again, you can have a little pop-up that says, do not use things that you use for your other devices as your username and password. Use something unique to this device. Um, and even maybe even put in some pointers in there about using uh, password managers and things along those lines to help them. And, and again, you can lead the horse to water, but if you hold its head in the bucket too long, it's going to drown. So <laughs> you have to, um, you know, trust that you've done enough to make the consumers as safe as possible. And what the consumer chooses to do with that knowledge is, is ultimately on them. Uday, what are your thoughts on this from the yeah, consumer standpoint I mean, and security? Exactly. I mean, I think once, like Matt says, well, what we have learned through the process is it's very, very difficult to teach consumers anything. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my Alexa skill actually tells me hey, you you have to go to the gym today. You missed your thing. I never went. Like it's it's impossible for us to actually go. So even now, and people should not step out, but still people do. So we cannot control that. So 
but still, I mean, people have concern with voice devices, but still there are millions of them using it. And if you see all these surveys, right, I mean, 41% say, I'm really concerned about privacy and trust, but you still use it. 54% say that, oh, I'm, I'm actually thinking my sensitive data is being compromised, but still you use it. So I think what we do at our end, right, is make security as, as part of the user experience process. So you cannot define that as a separate teaching protocol. You cannot give them a card and say, hey, read this instruction before you actually use my skill, read this card before you actually use my device. You cannot do that. So for example, let's say we are using, uh, we're opening a new account for a bank using voice, right? So we're actually doing that. And as part of that process, I mean, it's a first step or second step, you ask them to take a selfie. They take it. I mean, it's, it's a very simple user experience. It's just a streamlined process and it just happens. But it's, so what I'm trying to say, I think we have to make the security protocols as part of the process. So instead of trying to teach someone, make it like invisible learning. Mm-hmm. Mm, I like that. Yeah, yep. invisible learning. All right, John, what are your thoughts on, again, consumer and customer security practices? Yeah, trying to do as much on the consumer's behalf as possible. Like to Matt's point of, um, you know, yeah, and we're all guilty of it. I, I know I haven't uh, updated a number of devices in my uh, house in quite some time. If those uh, devices could update themselves, hey, all, all the better, in, in my opinion. Uh, to the point of uh, having different uh, admin usernames and passwords, uh, there's a uh, there's been a, a, a trend now for a couple of years of, for example, routers having different uh, passcodes for per device printed physically on the device. If you buy you know, a Netgear router today, you flip it over after you unbox it, it'll have a little sticker on the back uh, that says what the, um, what the passphrase is for that network, for that router, right? Uh, but I also took a look on the back of my own router and my default um, admin username and password was admin and password on the sticker told me so. So I think uh, manufacturers need to um, need to be a bit more mindful about that and more proactive in creating products that are secure out of the physically out of the box, literally out of the box. I like that. We had um, some questions on Twitter that were sent to me earlier that I'll have some of you answer as well. Um, so Daniel Hill, shout out to him. I was just speaking with him earlier. His question was, what's the best way to address somebody's concerns about having another device spy on them? So maybe in like one or two sentences, what would you say to someone who says that to you? John, I'll start with you on that one. Yes, uh, something similar to uh, the same question comes up anytime new technology is introduced. Like when EasyPass was introduced, people were concerned that uh, we would get automated speeding tickets. Uh, and the adoption of EasyPass inc- improved when the inconvenience of waiting in line at the cash tolls continued to increase. Yeah. So I, I think the level of pushback against um, you know, another device spying on you will diminish as the utility and convenience of these devices improve. So, 
I'd also like to point out that your cell phone very likely knows a heck of a lot more about you than than those smart speakers do. Um, I did do a test, by the way, uh, using uh, Wireshark, which is a network monitoring tool that monitors network traffic. And I isolated um, the IP address uh, on my local network of my um, my Alexa device and found that you know when I was talking with the TVs on in the room, there was no network traffic. Of course, when... Um, once you invoke the device and begin speaking with it, yeah, you'll you'll get network uh, chatter. It'll also auto-update itself. So that's at least one device that is good about uh, doing a self-install firmware and updating it. So um, my router, by the way, which I uh, I updated my firmware just the other day, um, <laughs> does not auto-update. So one could argue that your, uh, at least from a network security standpoint, chances are your your smart speaker is less likely to be, get hacked from your ne home network as an attack vector than your router, right? Um, the device is, from what I saw, the network traffic, the device isn't, uh, is not sending every single thing it hears in the room to Amazon. Of course, it'll send, uh, you know, uh, it'll um, send whatever you say when you're directly interacting with it, of course. But, you know, if you browse any website, you're going to leave a cookie trail. So just accept there are going to be some trade-offs, uh, but but be aware, but don't be paranoid. Right? It's not it's not listening on every single word you say. Yeah. Matt, do you have anything to add to this when someone says, you know, it's another device spying on them? What are your response to that? Yeah. You know, I, I think and, and I. You know, I don't know um, fully the context of Daniel's question here, but, you know, I'm going to take it from the stance of, you know, how do I know right now in talking with, with you three that any one of you doesn't have a device on in your room that is that you are purposefully actively recording our conversation on? Right. And, and, and whether it be just you want to remember later on or maybe you have a malicious purpose that you want to use. Um, recording of our conversation for, um, you know, that's that's kind of the route that my brain's going with in, in interpreting the question. And, um, you know, if you have a concern about that and the people that you're engaging with day in and day out, um, really just be cognizant of that when you're interacting with people on a day, day in, day out basis. Um, you know, don't freely blasphemous talk about people if you're concerned that it may come back to haunt you later on. I mean, it, it's, it's, it goes back in my mind to that old saying is, um, you know, what you do when nobody's looking, when nobody's watching, right? That defines a lot about a person, but nobody will ever know because nobody's looking, right? Um, so, you know, talking about people behind their backs or, or, or using, talking about sensitive information that maybe you shouldn't be talking about, whether it be patient uh, records that, that has to do with HIPAA compliance or, um, you know, attorney client privileges and things along those lines. You shouldn't be talking about those things outside of directly in a room that is a controlled environment between you and your client. If you are talking about them out in public where people have a ton of these things around, 
you roll the dice, right? And, and at the end of the day, I'd say that's on you. It's something that you shouldn't really be doing anyway. So ultimately, if you do have a concern and you're talking to someone and you, it's a very sensitive matter that you don't want to, you want to make sure is not being recorded or something like that. Um, if you don't trust the people that you're in the room with, maybe just ask them, hey, guys, can we all put our phones in the other room? And, and, and go have your conversation, you know, sans any phones or any smart speakers. Like I said before, you know, everybody should have safe rooms in their house where there is no um, technology devices regularly implanted there. So you can go have private conversations if you want to, if you need to. Um, and, and I think this, a lot of this just lends to common sense. Um, you know, if you aren't wholly trusting of the people that you're talking to or you're not trustful that the topic you're about to talk to is going to be held in private as 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 you intended it don't have the conversation or or arrange for a different medium to have the conversation so that you can protect it yeah i think that's a really good point i sometimes it is common sense as a whole um uday i have a different question for you another question from twitter jenny stenhouse she said voice is a persuasive medium with payment systems built in how long do you think it will be before we see the equivalent of email scammers hitting the airwaves what are your thoughts on this I think not too long, right? So especially in, a ch- in situations like this where everybody's home, everybody's online, I think using voice commerce, we're already in a delicate situation. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, what, I have one year old. I mean, he's just learning to speak and he was just blabbering something. And Alexa asked me, should I make this purchase? <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. So I think, I think uh, companies like Amazon are doing that, right? I think first is we have to give user controls. Like Amazon has something like turn on and off purchases by voice, right? So we have to take care of that. So companies have to give control to consumers. And I think, like I said before, I mean, we have to, two things. One is there has to be a second form of authentication, right? There has to be a second form of authentication so that it's not just one way of doing it and people get it done. And the second most important thing, like I said before, is you have to make security concern a default user behavior by embedding that in your user experience. So that will go a long way. Companies have to take note of that. So when the user is conscious, you already are hedging a risk by more than half. And we have another question on Twitter, Martin uh, Fitzgerald, who asks, what's the state of biometric identification? Um, Can any of you speak to on, first of all, what this is um, and where it's at? Matt, do you want to speak on this one? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take first stab at it, but, uh, uh, you know, the biometric identification is a lot of what we talked about at the top of the show, and we were talking about uh, the banking industry and them wanting to, it's that's a biometric verification of your voice. Um, where it's at right now, there's varying degrees, and it all really depends on the application. Um, I'm currently um, in a, a beta test for a company who has a new uh, voice training system that they're coming out with, um, where it is. It's exciting and it's amazingly in-depth as to the amount of training and my own personality am I able to put into the voice that is ultimately going to come out of this application. So uh, hopefully when I'm done loading it up with hours and hours of me talking, you the goal here is you won't be able to tell the difference between me and digital me. Um, I think that's a point we can get to now. But again, as John mentioned, it, it's hours, days, sometimes even longer weeks, months of training and getting the data of your voice into that system in order for it to be 100% accurate. So these 
these financial institutions who are using biometrics as a form of validation, um, like Uday mentioned, they are they're only listening to me speak eight words. And I said it four different times when they recorded it. And that's the extent of it. That, in my opinion, is not biometric identification. Okay. That is, um, you're using machine learning and maybe a little bit of AI to see, is this him? Sounds pretty much like him. Probably him. Okay, let him in. Case in point, and, and me being able to use recordings to be able to trick the system in order to let me in. So, you know, biometric identification, I think at the end of the day, we're going to get there at some point in time where um, I can definitively tell the difference between Uday and his brother. <laughs> very much alike, I will be able to tell by little nuances, little reverbs in their voice, which one is which. And the voice at that point in time, we can say, is a fingerprint. It is unique to an individual. Um, you know, and, and I guess on the flip side of that, just just to throw out a little extra on it, your voice is unique, um, but you use it every day. We're using it now. We're having a, a high-quality audio and video conversation that is being recorded that anybody can download, cut our individual voices out, and start making recordings to make versions of us that they would want, then want to say whatever they want us to say. And there's nothing we can do to stop that, right? And I think to, to everyone's point here, that's something that we need to think of when we are creating voice products, voice applications, is that... Um, two-factor authentication for voice. There has to be something else besides my voice that will allow something critical to happen. Alexa, turn on the lights. Eh, what's that? You know, probably not really going to hurt something. Did I just turn on your light? <laughs> Perfect example. Um, <laughs> Matt Alexa, just turned on your daylights from New door. York to Arkansas. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe it is something to be concerned about as we can clearly see right now, but, um, uh, we, we need another form of whether it be push notification or, um, something, something that some kind of feedback loop that comes back to me that I have to respond to that only I would know the response for that is not audible. Um, we need to take those things into account, especially for critical things like uh, 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 gaining access to your financial institutions and um, things along those lines, even critical things like your alarm system in your house. Um, I know right now, Alexa, if you say, Alexa, unlock the house, it won't. No matter who you <laughs> are. They just turned, <laughs> just he, he turned his speaker off so that it didn't work. So and if you are watching or listening already, this, right? yeah, you yes. already on my lights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it can pick up from other states. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it won't example. allow you to do that now. It's built into Alexa that it won't allow you to do that now. Right. But um, just a word of, of caution for other people who are looking to get into this space and develop in this space. You need to think about things like this because you don't want the burglar to be standing outside your house and just scream, you know, uh, a wake word, unlock the house. And then all of a sudden they can just walk right in. So, um, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I, I kind of ducktailed from the biometric identification piece, but um, yeah, and I we have we'll uh, there someday. yeah. Well, and you just gave a perfect example. So we have one more question from Andy Bellavia that he gave on Twitter. He said, "To what extent do you see regulations being written to enforce transparency and appropriate use, mainly in the U.S. since we are lightly regulated today, but more broadly?" So, John, do you want to take this one to start? 
Sure. So there's an organization that's forming now called the uh, Open Voice Network that is uh, seeking to bring some standards uh, to the voice industry specifically. Uh, certainly, we, we currently have, you know, the uh, NIST standards for security, for password management. Uh, but voice is a particularly rapidly evolving technology, and it's going to take an organization that's able to uh, keep in lockstep uh, with the evolution of this uh, of this space. And the Open Voice Network is a consortium uh, across multiple industries uh, that is taking um, taking voice technology. Uh, um, into considerations with respect to security, with respect to trustworthiness. So that goes beyond, uh, that certainly, of course, it involves uh, how voice is utilized uh, to implement security with biometric authentication, but goes a bit beyond that and verifies that, uh, you know, it, it's seeking to become kind of a gold standard of uh, voice products, similar to how you would have, you know, like uh, consumer goods uh, have a stamp of approval from consumer reports, right? So Open Voice seeks to become kind of that trustworthy gold stamp standard that reviews voice applications across, irrespective of the platform, um, and validates that it's following best industry practices uh, with respect to voice across a broad spectrum from usability uh, to stewardship of your private data um, uh, to good design practices. That's great to hear. Matt or Uday, do you know of any others that are going on or any thoughts on that? Um, well, from a legislation standpoint, and uh, I'll put on my data privacy cap here for a minute, um, there are laws that are... Um, going into effect in, in about a month here, um, such as CCPA, which is California Privacy, uh, Consumer Privacy Act, um, which um, it was similar to GDPR over in Europe, right? Where consumers, basically enabling consumers to know, have a right to know what data you have on me, right? Now, if you have Terra or probably petabytes of my voice on file in order to enable a biometric identification, and I want to know that, or or I want that deleted, or I want to know what you like. So companies need to start planning now from a privacy policy and a data protection policy standpoint um, as to how they're going to address these questions that are going to come in from their consumers. Because while it, you know, right now we're all sitting here saying, oh, the app's free. Great. I'm just going to download it. What are these terms? I don't care. Click OK. Click OK. Yeah, just give me the free thing, right? As we've all known, if it's free, you're the product. Your exactly. your data, your information is why it's free. They want that information so that they can either sell it or better market or whatever. So these um, laws that are slowly being enacted by different states, and at some point, obviously not right, it's not in discussion in Congress right now, but it, it has off and on been in discussion of a general overall Privacy Protection Act for consumers in the United States. Um, at some point, we're going to get there, whether it be each state having their own thing or a federal mandate. Um, and we should be prepared to understand whose data we have, what we have, where we have, what we do with it, and being able to address that back to the consumer so that they understand that and they know 
what's going on with that data. Because if, if, if you're not able to do that, um, there, there's going to be fines, there's going to be penalties, there's going to be a lot of other things that are going to come along with this. So um, I, I, best thing I could say right now is just, just read up on your state or where your target customer base is going to be, because it's based on where the consumer is located, not on where your um, headquarters are located. So if you do business in California and a California citizen requests information on their data, and you're a company in, you know, New York, you have to provide it because you're mm. doing business in that state. Now, there's more nuances to it than that. There's dollar amount levels that, um, you know, you have to qualify for in order to be considered a company that has to abide by the law. This is a lot more legalese to this than just what I'm saying right here. Um, but uh, companies should be thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. seriously should give, I mean, access control of access to consumer data to them. I mean, that has to happen. I think that's happening already. Well, this has been an incredible discussion. All of you offered so much insight. Uh, you know, for those of you that are rewatching or listening, definitely go back, take some notes. Where can people connect with you if they have questions to directly ask you? John, I'll start with you. Sure. So I am the only one with my name on LinkedIn. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you can find me there. Uh, you can only also find me on Twitter at uh, John I seventy three. Perfect, Matt. Where can people connect with you if they'd like to? Um, you can also find me uh, primarily on LinkedIn, um, Matt Valancourt. I'm not the only Matt Valancourt out there. There's apparently a very <laughs> popular uh, uh, semi pro race car driver named Matt Valancourt. That's not me. I wish it was <laughs> me, but it's not. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, or you can also find me on Twitter um, at Matt V Infosec. Um, not very active on Twitter, but I'm my New Year's resolution and my home quarantine resolution is to uh, get more involved in my in my Twitter. Wonderful. And Uday, where can people contact you? Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter. I think I'm definitely the only one with the last name Uday Akaraja. So your LinkedIn, Twitter. <laughs> I'm quite active there. And I think I would also encourage uh, consumers who are listening to this to be recent. I recently co-authored a. An article on Harvard Business Review which said uh, when al algorithms decide whose voices will be heard, I, I think I co-ordered with Theo Law. I think just go and read that. I mean, especially companies are not talking about this. Amazon's Google's are not talking about consumer privacy and all that. I think companies actually should read that. And I think that that's a good insight. Yeah. And again, for everyone listening and watching, we thank you. If you have questions about security, these gentlemen are definitely people to ask um, and they are accessible. They want to help. They want to kind of lead in this space. So I thank you, Matt, Uday, and John for being here. And I look forward to continuing learning from all of you. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to the Inside Voice podcast. We greatly appreciate you being a part of our community. And if you enjoyed this episode or you like the podcast, we would love it if you would subscribe, follow, like, share, leave a review of the show. If you have any questions, comments, feedback, people you want to see on the show, things you want to learn, feel free to send us an email at kerry at modev.com. That's K-E-R-I at modev.com. And be sure to check us out online at voicesummit.ai. Thank you. And we look forward to chatting with you next week.